right, welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. Uh, my name's Wilson, and uh, I'm really excited. We got uh, Ben Glad on the podcast with us, uh, all the way from uh, the Jackson, Mississippi area. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Glad, to put it more formally. Uh, he, he's here talking about why the book of Revelation is awesome. And uh, we're going to hopefully help you see the awe and awesome here. Uh, but Ben, tell us about yourself. Um, uh, I know my people have uh, heard me quote you a lot or, uh, you're, 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 you're in that, uh, small group of people. When I say one of my friends in Mississippi said, you know, dot, 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 that's all with, uh, you, you, you <laughs> Mike could, yeah, yeah, Mike could, yeah. y'all <laughs> so, yeah, tell, yeah, tell us, tell us, uh, tell us about yourself and marriage, family and what you're doing now. Yeah, um, I teach at RTS Reform Theological Seminary in our Jackson campus. Uh, I've been doing that for about 12 years now, and uh, I teach New Testament. I have two kids, Judah and Simon. They're 10 and 13, and then a wife of 18 years, uh, Nikki. And uh, yeah, we're making it happen. We're... uh, we're living this apocalyptic Southern life. <laughs> now, speaking of uh, apocalyptic, uh, you got to tell us about what y'all do for Halloween every year. Yeah. So my wife, several years ago, started this tradition of dressing up uh, our whole family, picking kind of an ensemble of costumes and so each year we kind of have a theme and there's it really started with this one family we you know we had some years and our church at highlands presbyterian they do these competitions for their reformation day i mean i call it halloween but they call it reformation (laughs) day and uh they would whoever whichever family had the best ensemble and this one family won it every single year, no matter what we did, they always won it. So Nikki was like, that's it. (laughs) The next year we dressed, we dressed up like that family. So I dressed up like the husband. Nikki dressed up like the mom and poor Judah. He dressed up like their daughter (laughs) and then Simon dressed up like their son. And it was amazing. People yeah. still to this day, I mean, that was what, seven years ago or so? Oh, wow. People yeah. still to this day talk about that because it blew everybody away. That's awesome. And that kind of wow. really started this tradition of, of yeah, I mean, every year we yeah. spend a lot. It's my wife. She spends a lot of time on putting it together. Now, I think I got to say my favorite one was when y'all did Home Alone. And I think Judah was the That was 2020. Guy. That was like. 2020 yeah he was the pizza guy yeah that that little nero's legendary yes the fact the fact that y'all did that on the pizza box was unbelievable so yeah and so Uh, we had we hired this shows you how hardcore we are we had a custom our neighbor does what do they call it like a mono not monogram but printing like they can print things on jackets and so he printed up a little Nero's logo for the jacket. <laughs> and we had a neighbor. So like the hat, we had the hat, the jacket, the box. I mean, it was, we can oh, go all out. Like it's a yeah. big deal. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. So, 
Um, Did you see Napoleon Dynamite this year? That was yes, this year's. Yes. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah. not only did I see it, but I had a buddy of mine from Jacksonville, Florida, text me and be like, have you seen uh, the Glad's Halloween stuff yet? And <laughs> it's amazing. So y'all, y'all are going viral. Uh, yeah, I know. I had a lot of, I had like 22,000 hits on my uh, Instagram or my uh, Twitter yeah. picture. That's amazing. <laughs> well, uh, we're pumped to have you on here, and uh, we're going to be talking about the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations, uh, and you can probably right, handle that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so that way our people know uh, I had been for one of my favorite classes in seminary, which was uh, Hebrews to Revelation, and, uh, I mean – Man, those uh those lectures on Revelation just are they were just paradigm shifting. Uh so I thought, man, let's get you on here to talk about why the church needs to preach and teach the book of Revelation. Um I, I remember you were that was a big thing, actually, in one of the first lectures on Revelation, how you were talking about the need for the church to not just preach and teach portions of it, but all of it um why you know outside of the understanding that all of scripture is inspired by god but um why does the church need to make sure we preach and teach the whole book of revelation today well let me first explain why i think it's not taught and then i can explain why i think it should be taught it's not taught because most people think it's a book that's exclusively about the future, at least mm. from chapters four to 22. So if you don't think that the book relates or concerns uh, present events, then why would you really make a big deal out of it from the pulpit? So most pastors uh, um, hesitate to preach from it uh, because I think they, they, they view it as just something that's, at the very end of time. And it's, it's, it's not really all that relevant to today. On the other hand, within the reform tradition, and even in the PCA, even though pastors have some sense that what revelation teaches concerns today, they don't know really what to do with it. In fact, uh, there is a church that's, that's around us and they won't, I, it, they won't even preach on, revelation on a sunday morning from the yeah. pulpit because uh, they they don't really know what to do with it and yeah. i think even in reformed churches who have a better sense of how to interpret revelation pastors are very reluctant to preach this to preach this book i have not i mean so i've been in the pca for i don't know 16, 8, 17, 18 years, something like that. Long time, at least I think. And out of those, how, how many sermons that would be? It's a lot of sermons that I've yeah. heard. How many sermons have I heard on Revelation from the pulpit in a PCA church? I can't. It's less than three. Yeah. Yeah. I think you. And said- I can't remember. I can't even yeah. remember one in like 16 years of going to a PCA church. I've been, I remember, I've belonged to two PCA churches. Yeah. I remember one time you did, you actually did this experiment with us and uh, in class and you had said, how many of you have 
been in a church where they preached through the book of Revelation. And man, I think we had about 20 people in there and there's only like two of us who had raised our hands. And uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, And it was like because I matter of fact, I think what happened was uh, there was probably like eight hands that went up. And then you said like, no, no, no preached through the whole book, not just stopped at chapter five. Um, and then it yeah, was like, right, his hands right. went down. Yeah, crickets, yeah, and, and crickets. I, I think it's, uh, I actually, I, I did have the privilege of uh, my home church in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, they, they preached through Revelation for a Sunday evening service. And it was one of those where mm. I'm thinking, this is amazing. Mm. Uh, like, why, it is amazing. why doesn't this happen more? And so I, th- I think that's why it's awesome to be able to talk about this. So, so I think I think here's here's where we need to begin. How do we read, or how should we read the Book of Revelation? We're gonna we need to read this book the way that it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take what it gives us. In other words, if the book gives us a way to read it, well, we need to to take that way. In fact, it tells us the book is amazing because it tells us here in revelation one, one, uh, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, that is Christ to show to his servants. Uh, these are the local pastors. Yep. His servants, what must soon take place. He, and then there's this verb here. So some a lot of translations say something like he made it known yeah. by sending his angel. But the word there is he symbolized it or he communicated it by symbols by sending his angel to his servant John. In other words, Revelation 1, 1 says that the book was communicated by symbols to John the Apostle. So if the book is largely symbolic, I think we need to interpret it as symbolic. That's my go-to. That's going to be my default paradigm for interpreting the book is to extract the meaning of these symbols. And so the hard, the hard thing is, Wilson, is, well, where are the symbols? Well, they're yeah. everywhere. Well, yeah. What's our what's our bearing? And so really what John is doing is that these symbols are all found in the Old Testament. We just have to find where in the Old Testament they come from. And then you look in the Old Testament. Oh, hey, it's symbolic of Babylon or it's symbolic yeah. of whatever. Yeah. And then you bring it and then you bring it back in. Uh, there are and this is this is amazing. There are and I haven't done the count. I'm working on it still, but. There are about five, four to five hundred allusions just in the book of Revelation. In That's fact, nuts. there is between this is, I mean, it really is, it's loaded. It's between one to three allusions per <laughs> verse. Yeah. Per verse. There are only, in other words, to, to put it to you bluntly, there are only a few verses in Revelation that don't have any uh allusions uh yeah. to the old testament explicit there would be con- conceptual parallels of course but as far as strong verbal there are only a handful of verses in other words it's just at 90 something percent of this book is going back to the old testament picking up on this language and then applying it to today so if you don't know what that old testament language is you're going to be thinking 
oh, helicopters, B-2 bombers, yep. nuclear yep. warfare, you know, yeah, because you're going to miss you're going to miss those symbols. Now, I've heard you use this illustration before where it's kind of like uh, in the Marvel movies where so many of the Easter eggs that get carried. Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain that dynamic of even how we can see this? We, we understand that concept in movies where we'll see a symbol and it reminds us of something going on and how that happens in the book of Revelation. Right. So what makes Revelation hard, and it's just a really, it, it, there is no doubt about it. This is a very difficult book. I think it's one of the most difficult books in all of the Bible, uh, which is why very few people preach through it, right? They're preaching through Ephesians and Philippians and these types of texts. But when it comes to preaching through Revelation, there's a reason why pastors avoid it, because it's a hard book. It's very yeah. demanding. And the reason why it's demanding, Wilson, is because it's predicated on our knowledge of the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean you can, a person who doesn't know the Old Testament can read Revelation. I think can read it well and competently and get the big picture of what God is doing. Yeah. But if you want to understand the richness of it, the depth of it, you've got you've to be familiar with everything. And so this is why... I think the Marvel world is very helpful, even though the latest Marvel movies are no good. I saw that the Marvels <laughs> come out this yeah. weekend. Yeah. And yeah. I watched the trailer and I was like, yeah, nobody's oh, man. watching that. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other podcast you, you, to, uh, that's a whole other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, <laughs> amen. Yeah. yeah. Divine curses. But we have, but we have in the Marvel, and this is where it's amazing because there's something like the Bible in our culture in that, especially with the Marvel world. I mean, there are what, 30 some movies? Yeah. Excluding TV shows, excluding TV shows. So if you incorporate all the material, it's amazing. And so each movie is connected to, we mm -hmm. call it the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now you can watch just one movie without knowing or viewing Great. any of the other sources and you still have an appreciation for that movie. Good guy wins, bad guy loses. You understand the conflict, but if you've seen all the other movies, you have a deeper appreciation. You can see Easter eggs. You can yeah. pick up on these verbal illusions or even symbolic illusions. And, and, and that's really what revelation is doing. I mean, it is the capstone of the MCU. It is, it's taking, the breath of the Bible, it's taking the entire storyline and it's putting everything together for the church today and how to navigate this world. And so this is why if you don't take the time to navigate these Easter eggs, go back into the Old Testament, look at them, and then bring it back in, you know, it, 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 it can cause problems if you, if yeah. you um, misread it. What are some of the Old Testament books that are more prominent in the book of Revelation? Yeah. Um, Ezekiel's huge. Daniel's huge. Genesis is huge. Exodus is huge. The Psalms. Those would be the main ones. Yeah. Zechariah. I mean, you're uh, Isaiah. Did I say Isaiah? Some Jeremiah. I mean, they're really... The, the question is better like this. It would be better to say or to ask which books are not yeah. as yeah. 
And the answer would be, so we get a lot of imagery from Elijah and Elisha. Mm. So you get, so you get first and second Kings. You yeah. get a lot of that material brought in as well. Not so much from, let's say the book of Esther. Yeah. Or a little, some, some from Ezra and Nehemiah, not a whole lot there. Not a whole lot from Song of Songs, even though there could be one or two allusions to that book. Um, yeah, like uh, I mean, I have to get on the list. A little bit from Chronicles, first, a little bit from First Aesthetic. Not, not massive uh, pieces. Um, yeah. yeah, but your Pentateuch, of course, is going to be there. You know, kind of your predictable ones. Yeah, well, and I think that once again is a testimony to the fact that this is an inspired word because th- this is far more than just human genius where you can just you know remember things oh. i mean it is just so right. much that's in right. this and now one one of the things this in- is the greatest book i and I, I don't think that i'm that i'm this is bad theology but i think we can say that this is yeah. the greatest book ever written and i don't of course the bible's the greatest book but i yeah, i really yeah, think yeah. that revelation is the greatest book within the bible as far as it's it's yeah. sophistication, the way it pulls everything together. It's yeah. so rich. I mean, John, if John the Apostle wrote this, if that's the same John who wrote this one, you know, John is, uh, he's an old man. He's writing in the 90s, and he, yeah. it's been six, 60 years since mm. he was with Christ in his earthly ministry. 60 years. So he's been reading the Bible for 60 years, pulling all the pieces yeah. together and you read it and you're like, yes, I can, this is 60 years worth of work. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. Labor, this, right? this is a magnum opus. Um, this is, yeah. a mag- you know, and obviously he's receiving visions. Yeah. And, but that's, but these visions, these visions that John is receiving or are receiving. Yeah. Um, no, Israel, that these visions that John is receiving, um, he is going to blend that with his own reading of scripture, yeah. with his own uh, uh, experiences. And when he writes it down, you're going to get that grid. Yeah. Which is a good uh, understanding of what the doctrine of inspiration is. And uh, right. Right. God, it's the God totality of yeah. John's life. Plus these visions that he receives. It's, yeah, you know he's gonna he 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 receives the visions, but then he when he writes them down, he's he's working out his own experience and his own uh, knowledge of the Old Testament. Yeah, in Christ's life, of course. Yeah. Now, one of the things we see in the book of Revelation is uh, we see actually uh, things that look very similar to the ten plagues in the book of Exodus. Can you explain what's happening there as we see this play out? Yeah, so in the trumpets and the bowls, uh, the second and third uh, judgments that are found in chapters uh, 8 and chapter 16, so you get the trumpets in chapters 8 uh, and 9, and then the bowls in chapter 16, um, those are very much tied to the 10 plagues of Egypt. So whether it's hail, fire, you've got blood, you've got sun, you've got darkness, uh, see the blood, rivers to blood. I mean, these are very, some of the, the, the wording is exact. 
Yeah. And there is no doubt that John is building off the 10 plagues of Egypt and applying it to, hey, you thought that the 10 plagues of Egypt were bad? <laughs> we'll just wait until the trumpets and the bowls. That's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in, when you see the 10 plagues, you know, one of the things that's happening there is uh, it's also a declaration that, you know, Yahweh is defeating the gods of Egypt. And well, what's right? What's, Book right. Revelation, the fact that Christ is the victorious one. Uh, he's the greatest. Yeah. He's the greatest yeah. and he has defeated he's defeated the world system. Yeah. Now if if you had to give a main theme for the book of Revelation, uh what would it be? The book is written to encourage the church to persevere. That's why we had. That's why John wrote this book because the you know in the nineties, um, the church is going through a difficult time. The we call it emperor worship, which is when the the Roman Empire is beginning to mandate Christians to worship the emperor and to compromise their beliefs in of Christ. And so there's a lot, but not just, not just at an empire wide, but there's also a lot of pressure locally for these churches, these seven churches. There's a lot that's happening in their local districts that their physical oppression, spiritual oppression, economic oppression. And if they would just give in to the world, well, then these trials would alleviate, right? They would, you know, Hey, in other words, um, John wrote this book saying, do not give in. You've got to hold fast. Yeah. And if you hold fast, then you then you will new creation. And if, in fact, right now, if you are persevering, you're beginning to inherit the new creation. You are a pillar of God's temple right now. And you are receiving the manna right now. Yeah, It's an already and not yet reality that is that the believer enjoys well and i think that's a big concept that maybe people who are new to reformed theology are they've been hearing and they're learning this what is this already but not yet because certainly when you look at the book of revelation people are always asking well when are the end times and uh one of the great things that uh, we learned from you in class was this idea that the end times are already, but also not yet. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So this is a very, very important. This is probably one of the most important things that I've learned and that I pass on the old Testament anticipated that at the very end of history, all these bad things would transpire oppression, tribulation, false teaching. And then the Messiah would come, would sort of get wrapped up in this oppression, die, suffer or suffer, die. But his death would somehow be the catalyst for the restoration of the eternal kingdom. And then the kingdom would be set up. God's people would be resurrected and then the new heavens and earth would be ushered in at that point. And, uh, but what Jesus says is, hey, he get, arrives on the scene. He says, hey, the, the end of history is right now. It's yeah. breaking in. 
in the present, in the first century. That, But what's so weird about it is that on the one hand, all the bad things are really culminating in Jesus' life, which is why mm. on the cross, he's that is tribulation. He's dying yeah. as Israel, as, as Adam on the cross. That's horrific. So he's experiencing the end of the age as he's on the cross and even in his ministry as, as he's as he's uh, handed over and betrayed, that he is experiencing Israel's oppression, Israel's tribulation there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's what is he doing? He's healing people. He's bringing people into the new age. Uh, he raises Lazarus from the from the dead. All these great things he's bringing. He's establishing the kingdom. So what Jesus does is he and we call it he's inaugurating the new age and he's bringing bad things and good things together yeah in a way in 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 a way that the old testament saints were not anticipating they believed that the bad things would happen first and then the good things but jesus says no they're overlapping mm. the bad and the good uh yeah. these realities are now overlapping and so this is what revelation is really all about explaining how there are all these bad things that God is God is pouring out all these judgments upon the earth upon unbelievers right now. On the other hand, He's blessing God's people mm. in an amazing way. So it's this I call it eschatological dissonance. So the our believers, the church now, we are we have begun to inherit the new creation. We've begun, yeah. To enjoy God's presence. On the other hand, the world is doing its worst to us. They're oppressing us, and the world is also being oppressed. Yeah, that uh, that there are spiritual forces at work. Yeah, that are oppressing the world, and the world is frustrated mm. at that. And the this this planet, this Earth that they worship and they adore. One of the main features of Revelation talks about how that the Earth is unable to, that a part of God's judgment is that the earth does not produce what unbelievers want from the earth. They want want vast ships. They want to harvest all of this grain and the earth doesn't supply it because God has uh, judged the earth. And so we can see that. I mean, it really is an amazing thing. I, you know, just in the last few years, I think, Mm. that's really being that's really yeah. surfaced is just we want more minerals we want e we want ev cars well we yeah. gotta dig yeah. up a bunch of junk to get that you want and so we see corporations like apple trying to double down on clean initiatives yeah and yeah carbon footprints and for, it's because they realize unbelievers realize like uh-oh in order for us to st- to stay here to survive, we need to be careful about what we do. And this earth has to keep providing for us. But yeah. they realize the fragility of it all. Yeah. And, and so they're sort of stuck. They're like, well, we can't just do nothing. We yeah. have to ha- we have to have stuff. So we ha- you see you have to harvest. You have to make. I mean, if Apple really believed in carbon neutrality, they would just say. We're not making any more devices. Yeah. We're shutting off our servers because yeah. they are harvesting from the earth. If they were, if they were really, really into it, they yeah. would just stop, cease all operations because they are using a tremendous resources. Yeah, 
from this earth. But of course, they're a corporate. They, you know, you want to you want to make stuff. You got to make money. You got to yeah, have servers. Yeah. You got to do all this stuff. And so they try to neutralize these things, but it just doesn't work. And unbelievers realize that this earth cannot produce what it's supposed to produce. And that's why in the new creation, believers will finally be in an environment that that produces what God has created yes. it for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think this so, is you know, huge yeah. um, about why we need the book of Revelation today, because th- this is far more than just kind of trying to put a puzzle together and uh, have debates, man, this is worldview stuff. This is very tangible, mm-hmm. practical, uh, world mm-hmm. life altering things. Uh, especially in an age where we're just bombarded with news all the time. And man, to be able to have a solid anchor, um, the book of revelation, I mean, that's what it is. You know, I love, so there's a guy named Richard Bauckham. He wrote a book called The Theology of Revelation. It's written out about a college level. It is, it's a little paperback, maybe a hundred pages or so. It's great for Bible studies. Um, Most of it is, is, is just, it's absolutely tremendous. And I think most people would be able to read it with understanding. And one of the things he says about the book of Revelation he says that Revelation gives us Christian symbols in that these symbols are sort of, they they conquer and they destroy the world's symbols because the world has its own yeah. symbols. Yeah, that's good. And that Revelation, he, he has a, we have like a, a refurbished symbol that these are symbols that God gives his people to be, comforted in uh because the world is telling christians we're the greatest you guys are nothing you guys are wrong and then the then the christian symbols that no christians are right god is the greatest and keep trusting in god's promises yeah and it's communicated through symbols and so this is why i think we have got to learn this book so that our Mm. view of jesus is greater he is the great son of man you know, who has fiery eyes. He doesn't literally have fiery eyes, but he has symbolic fiery eyes and he has a sword coming out of his mouth, not a physical sword, but a figurative sword that is able to conquer uh, and to execute righteousness. And so we have revelation gives us all these wonderful ways of describing God, describing us, describing uh, his plan right now. And if we can learn these symbols, they are, yeah. hugely encouraging. That's the yeah. whole point. They encourage us to press on. Well, in a lot of ways, it's like the symbols are catechizing us. They're, you know, right. yes. we're being reminded. Yes, that's a good of, way to say it. They're catechizing the us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, it is so, it's so beautifully picturesque for the purpose of being stuck in our minds because it's a truth that mm-hmm. just sinks in and continues to, yeah, I mean, it, it mm-hmm. should be where whenever we go out into the world and we see various things, we should be reminded of like, oh, yeah, this is what Revelation says, you know. So I think that mm-hmm. is, I think, it's, I think it's a great point. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that often trips people up 
is when you get into the middle section of the book and you start seeing the the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Now, when we think about how we're to read these, are we to read the seals as if there's a period of time when all the seals happen one after another, and then after that period of time, right after that, there's another period of time, and then the trumpets? Or is there another way to read uh, what the seals, trumpets, and bowls are? Yeah, um, it's the all it, beginning beginning in Jesus' life, and especially at his death and resurrection, uh, he, he inaugurates the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. He has set all three in motion simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it, that they are describing the same thing just from different perspectives. And so I, I just saw this on social media today, and I, and I think it's interesting, this idea of it's like watching a football play, but from different angles. So oh, you can, that's you know, they have yeah. a slow-mo angle. They have like an overhead view. They've got a side-by-side thing. A play, you know, all these different perspectives, all these different cameras from all over the field. Yeah, and it's the same play, yep. but the way it's it's fascinating because it's the the way that we see it is it's you highlight different pieces of it. I say my friend of mine um, had this idea about the Gospels, and I think it's an, an interesting one. It's like a, he compared it to nine eleven because when we were going through school, nine eleven had just happened, and he he likened the three Gospels to being at three different places in New York city and watching nine 11. So you have these different perspectives. Like there are times when it seems like they're in contradiction to one another, but they're not. Yeah. They're just three different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the same event, but because, you know, maybe one building blocks your view, you, you didn't see something else happen over here. So revelation gives us that it's these snapshots of the same reality over and over and over again. This is precisely how the prophets work in the Old Testament, whether you're in Isaiah or Jeremiah or in the minor prophets, whatever prophetic text you're working with, they talk about the same thing over and over again. And yes. I think that's what frustrates readers. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you just talked about the destruction of Babylon, but yeah. now you're talking about it again? Yeah. Wait, you you just talked about so. They yeah. they have these repeat oracles, these cycles of oracles, and this is all that Revelation is doing. He's John is giving us these oracles or these visions that run parallel to one another. And so one word that is often used to describe it is recapitulation. It's the same mm. thing, the same series of judgments just recapitulated over yeah. and over again for for a variety of reasons. Now to make sure our uh we're, we're clear in understanding you said how Christ has inaugurated these things. So you're telling, you're telling me, man. So uh, once again, so we're already living in the end times. Is that what you're saying? And if so, that's how, right. How that's right. Yeah. We're yeah. seals. The seals are happening. The trumpets are happening. The bowls are happening that these judgments, these judgments began uh, in the first century, and they are continuing today, and they will climax at Christ's return. Um, so it's it's a we call this the inter-advent period, mm. and um, these so just as God is blessing His people, 
in amazing ways. He's also cursing uh, unbelievers in ungodliness. And we can see this. I mean, it, it, it's hard because here in the U.S., we have so many things. We live yeah, yeah. luxurious lives. You know, on the other hand, even here, we can t- we are very unhappy and we are, I think, unbelievers very apparently they're experiencing God's curse yeah, and it frustrates them yeah, because they know, they know that something is wrong, but they just can't figure out what to do. And so some people think, well, if I could just, if I just vote in the right candidate, yes. oh my goodness. Yeah. he or she will pass, he or she will pass laws, which will then da 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 da. Yep. Or if I can just take this type and this will fix that, or these things don't, yeah, these they're just little band aids, and they kind of help us a little bit. I, some medication, yeah, whether it's political or or pharmaceutical, that they can help to some, I guess, on a yeah. surface level. But but yeah. these are not. There's not. There is a change. This world wants deep seated change, mm. and uh, only God can do that because God is He is cursing. He is cursing this world for for ungodliness. Yeah. So that's what really you, what Revelation is doing. Yeah. What do you think this book does whenever a pastor, uh, maybe he takes a semester or the academic year to, to, to preach the, what do you think happens to a people week after week after week as they hear this explained and applied? I, I, my senses now that has not happened to me, but my senses, Wilson, that it, it fortifies the believer's faith. It gives, gives our faith a depth to it so that when we see this world saying, Hey, if you don't believe in this, if you don't, uh, you know, carry this emblem or whatever, then you're going to lose your job. And the believer says, it's all right. I'll lose my job. It's just a job. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not caving in. I have to, I have to stand up for what I believe and I have to stand up for what the Bible says is true. So I think that the revelation fortifies the believer to persevere in faith. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it would, it would help parents and their children. And there's a, there's a sobriety. What's fascinating, what's fascinating in the Bible, the Bible does so many things simultaneously. Like there's, if you only had the book of Revelation, <laughs> uh, that could cause issues too, yeah. right? They, they, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine just articulating the believer's relationship to culture if you just had yeah. the <laughs> book of revelation it, yeah. it would be it would be something but yeah. we're thankful that scripture in its wholeness we have these different perspectives and they complement yeah. and they work together um but there's a sense in which the revelation gives believers a sobriety of life and yet there are other there are other portions of scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where yeah, you know what? We're supposed to be joyful. We're excited about what God is doing in our hearts. We're excited about what is what, these gifts that God has given to us, and there's a joy and a pleasure that's appropriate. Uh so you know, so do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, you, yeah. you 
you, you have to read Revelation well, but you've got to read it in light of everything, not just read it narrowly. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a really good point. Um, there it is. It should be part of our uh, diet for our people. Um, just like yes. this book of the it Bible. Sh- it should be part of our regular diet, but it should not be the only book that yeah. we read. Yeah. And I think that even within like a future dispensational, they tend to only read Revelation, especially now that's taking place in the Middle East. It tends yeah. to just be yeah. a steady, unhealthy diet that can cause it can cause a level of anxiety that is unhealthy. Oh, I that's, think. yeah, that's true. And you know, right. I mean, it can, yeah. it can, yeah, it can. Yeah. If you, if you, I think misread things, it can, yeah. it can cause problems. One of the interesting things in the book of revelation is we read about, uh, the four horsemen, uh, man, the different theories and, uh, <laughs> all these different things that come up. What, what, are the four horsemen and what's what's the book trying to tell us through that imagery right so that's drawn the the four horsemen are drawn from zechariah 6 where you have four chariots and the horse is carrying each chariot and the colors are the same in zechariah 6 so it's building john is building right off of zechariah that's that's very clear and so you turn to Zechariah 6 and then you say, oh, well, these are these are judgments that God is bringing upon Israel, not on the nations, but on Israel. And some of the judgments are so the white house, the white horse, the white horse, which is the first horse in at the beginning of chapter six, probably represents deception. Uh, even though some commentators think that Jesus is the white horse. Uh I think the reason why the white horse is there is because later on in chapter 19, Jesus is on the white horse. Mm. So here we have the white horse is imitating. It's probably this demonic yeah, yeah. notion or the satanic notion of deception. Yeah. So I would say that's that's false teaching. Now, what's amazing about the seals, so you have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. The seals are a series of judgments that are – Primarily, not exclusively, but primarily targeting the church mm. at large, the corporate church. Because in Zechariah 6, it was God judging the nation of Israel. In in Revelation 6, it's God judging the church at large. So mm. not, not the church invisible, but the church visible, the yeah, big, yeah. you know, all those who say I'm a Christian, but yep. so all, so everybody who would say I'm a Christian, yeah, uh, in a in a corporate notion. So what what these seals do, Wilson, is that they they jolt the people of God. They when we when we when God's people when we endure these things, mm. it shakes it shakes up believers, but those who think that they're Christian. But really, are not it? Cre- it makes them mad, and it makes them yeah. leave and abandon Christ. So I think a great example of this is COVID. So, I, and I don't think that I'm I'm being wild and crazy here, but I would yeah. say COVID is an amazing example of the seals at work mm. because here you have God. So God, what does He do? He He pours out a judgment upon all of us including the church yeah, and that those within the church who have 
a relationship with him, we are fortified. We are, we are, it causes us to reflect on our lives. Like, oh my gosh, I could lose my job. This, I could lose this. I could lose this. I could lose my health. And it strengthens our faith. But there are those too who friends, you know, you had friends. I have friends who they kind of went to church. Yes. But when COVID hit, they're like, this is my, I'm out. I'm out. Yep. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of churches lost thirty percent of their congregation. It happened all over the place, yeah. and so you, so that you, you see that. So it's a judgment that can actually bring about repentance within the church, but it can also bring about unbelief in further rebellion towards God. Yeah, and this is the and so just and so COVID was really a concrete way of God's people experiencing this. Uh, rather than just being, just being something theoretical. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember this concept of uh, when I was, I keep looking back up here because uh, I have your book, uh, Making All Things New, and y'all kept coming back to uh, the fact that false teaching exists mm-hmm. and plagues the church today, you know, i.e. this white horse. Uh, and that is... Right. A, it's a reminder that uh, we're in the last days and right. We, That's right. These things happen and, and we have to always be on guard for this. So even, you know, when something like COVID happens or the next trendy teaching, whatever it is, it's always that uh, in a way that that fire, that trial that uh, exposes who God's people really are and, and, and what God does in the lives of the believer, he makes them, uh, love the truth, uh, grip the truth more. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, so it is that mm-hmm. very weird, uh, kind of like Luther when he talks about the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory, where God can mm-hmm. work through the things that appear to be the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what about some of right. these other horsemen? Right. Yeah, so the red horse. Um, I think that's just general persecution. I think it's just death, you know, ill health, death, yeah, blood, that kind of thing. Black, uh, that's the black horse, uh, just a lack of resources. Like this one's specifically targeting food, but I I think I would apply it to just other resources. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, now here again, in the West, we've got tons of stuff. Yeah, We're not struggling, but outside of the West, yeah, you know, people struggle for a place to sleep, food yeah. to eat, water to drink. Huge. I mean, just think of since Christ has has ascended, even into his. I mean, it's been very hard on the church to survive, just as far as the the resources. And yeah. then, fourthly, the the this pale horse. <laughs> this is sort of. <laughs> If there's, it kind of it's the miscellaneous horse. Yeah. It's just you know, any yeah, kind of the uh, if I if the other three horses didn't cover it, it's it's, yeah. it's whatever 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 just throw remains. It all in that one. Yeah. yeah, throw it all in there. <laughs> right, famine, yeah. plague, you know, oppression, yeah. and, you know, and you know, all sorts of weird things. Yeah, right. Just yeah, any kind of oppression. Yeah. That's financial good. oppression, whatever, yeah. physical oppression. One of the things I actually had someone in my office uh, earlier this week, and I've, I've had it throughout uh, 
my time in RUF and especially in youth ministry, uh, people are wondering how many Christians will be in heaven. Uh, when mm. we, we come to this number mm. about 144,000. And when you fail to read that symbolically, then yeah, uh, you can kind of the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you're thinking, Oh man, am I, <laughs> am I like not just chosen, but am I chosen, chosen? Um, right. What, right. what does that number mean? Why is it a really rich, uh, number that when we mm-hmm. understand it, uh, mm-hmm. actually how it changes our identity. Right. So the 144,000 now in a futurist position, typically that number is the amount of ethnic Jews saved during the tribulation. So it's 144,000 of ethnic Jews who are saved during the period of the tribulation. And um, yeah, and because yeah because you have that list yeah uh you know ten thousand from each tribe and so that's how a futurist dispensationalist would typically read that i don't think that's right um the reason why we have 144,000, at least numerically speaking uh i think that's not that hard to get uh you have 144,000. that's 12 times 12 times a thousand that's how you get there that doesn't seem that seems to be pretty symbolic to me. And then that list that John provides there in chapter seven, the only time you get numerical lists in the Bible, it's when, yeah. as they say in the South, we're fixing to go to the war. And <laughs> yeah. you get, because, so you've got a, you've got a number, yeah. you've got a number, everybody to figure out how big, you know, how you're going to yeah. do your army, how, how you're going to conquer the bad guys. So that list comes right out of numbers. Yeah. And um, that's the closest thing. It's It really is. It's really without exception. Every single time you get a list of numbers, Israel's fixing to go to war. Yeah. And so what this means is that the church is symbolically mm. 144,000 warrior, warriors, right? We are, we are fighters. Yeah who are going to wage a battle, but we don't wait. Here's the thing. We don't, we don't fight a battle with swords. Yes. We fight a battle yeah. on our, on our knees, you know, yeah. praying, reading our Bibles, teaching, yeah. preaching, nourishing faith. We, this is mm. a, this is a spiritual battle. Yeah. And that's how we win. Yeah. And in fact, John even talks about how we win. Ironically, we win this battle by losing yeah. the battle physically. So we, we will lose this battle. I mean, I, I hate the. I know there are a lot of post mill guys, yeah, you know, yeah. catching a lot of attention these days. But that's not what Revelation teaches. Yeah. It's not what the New Testament teaches at all. And this battle will be lost, but it's through losing this battle that uh, that the new heavens, the new earth will will descend. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's a it's a huge statement when we realize that you know, with 12 being the number of, uh, the tribes of Israel. And then when Jesus chooses his disciples, yes, he, he, he chooses friends, but there's a reason why it's behind, uh, the, the number 12 is, well, he is the true Israel and he's remaking us. And right. And then you you see this escalation as it were of, 
Israel becoming more and more beautiful and going viral. And, mm-hmm. and then, then you begin to realize like, Oh man, uh, when the book of revelation is talking about this 144,000, this is talking about actually Jew and Gentile who are true Israel. And, uh, which mm-hmm. is why in chapter 14, then it'll talk about how, uh, there's those 144,000. And then even later, then all of a sudden that 144,000 becomes a multitude, but right. it's describing right. the same. Yeah. Piece. Cause right after, right after, right. Right after the 144,000 in chapter seven, John sees an interpretive vision where it's all the tribes of all the nations, all these nations, uh, you know, millions and millions and trillions and, you know, all these numbers yeah. uh, are the, that is the 144,000. It's equated. The second half of chapter seven is equated with the first half of chapter seven. So the 144,000 mm. are, these nations yeah they're equated with 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 one another i remember you saying this in class one time and this was awesome but you said when we understand this rightly whenever we read the old testament we need to say this is our story oh right right yeah 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 this god gave it this is not we're not an outsider here i think so many people read the Bible as just an observer, as one who sits or stands by the sidelines, like you're watching the play unfold and you're like, man, wouldn't it be cool to join in that? It's like, I've always, I've always wished you could imagine playing in the Super Bowl, like just what that would feel like with all the fans, with the media, just to be on the grass and just experience would be unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and how, and how, yeah. Whereas I, how do I watch the Super Bowl from my living room? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, with cheese running down my, <laughs> running down my shirt and some nachos. Yeah. I'm not a participant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so many things- people read the Bible like that, right? Yeah. That's how, that's, that's my point. Yeah. Now, that's, not, that's not what the, what we're doing. One of the things we see where the book of Revelation really climaxes is it gets to the new heaven and the new earth. And chapter 21, you know, God will dwell with them and they will be his people and he's going to wipe away every tear. Uh, chapter 22 talks about how we will see God, we'll see uh, his face and and it's describing in the context of like, man, it kind of sounds a lot like Eden. Can you tell us what's happening in Revelation 21 and 22? Yeah, I mean, this is the story of the Bible. I, the whole story of the Bible is God dwelling with his people. That's it right yeah. there. Yeah. I have to summarize it. Yeah. <laughs> and so Gen- it's Genesis 1 sets the stage. In Revelation two finishes the story. So Genesis Genesis one and two, they're anticipating Revelation twenty two. They're already looking forward to that. Like it's you can yeah, see it. So if you're reading Genesis one to two well, you already know where the story is going. You are in other words, you already know the end of the story, and you haven't even gotten to Genesis three yet. Yeah, yeah, because you can see that God has created this cosmic sanctuary Mm. and he is going to move in he is going to move in that's the plan for him to move in yeah so that's what we get we get god moving in 
in uh, living God living with believers and the way that it's always supposed to be the way that he wants it to be. And yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the climax. And so God has begun this process in the person of Christ, you know, when Jesus came to earth and he tabernacled among us and yes. then he draws yeah. us closer to God in a unique way. And then it, it culminates, it climaxes in the new creation. So that's really where this is headed. We're not, I tell people all the time, and this is jolting. We don't spend eternity in heaven. We spend eternity correct, in the correct. new earth. Yes. And correct. it blows their minds because they're like, yeah. that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. have you not read the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. Heaven is a weird, we're not supposed <laughs> to stay in heaven forever. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it comes down. Heaven comes down. Yeah. Right. It's one location. We live, we live in a new earth with God in his fullness Mm. and in our fullness. Yeah. Yeah. Now we get to the very end of the book and John ends this incredibly like, you know, you get to chapters 19, 20, 21, 22. And it's, you're just like, what incredible comfort. And then at the very end, he goes, uh, here we go. um, cursed be anyone who adds to these words or takes away from these words. Now, is is he just talking about the book of Revelation or or what's John talking about? Right. So that line, uh, that's actually an illusion when he says, you know, adding to taking away that comes right out of Deuteronomy four and twenty nine, when he says that it's the same. In fact, it's a. Um, in other words, if you manipulate God's law, God is going to judge you. And so, you know, John is primarily thinking of the Book of Revelation here. If you mess with this word, then God is going to mess with you. Yeah, uh, that's essentially what's going on um, now. I, I think that we could apply this to scripture as a whole. Yeah. I mean, because you have it in Deuteronomy, you've got it in Revelation, and there are some other passages where I think you can say the same the same thing, where this is God's inerrant word. Don't mess with it. Don't change yeah. the message. If you change it, God will bring plagues against you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a way to end the book. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's very yeah. sober. It's very sobering because you're right. It's this, Everybody, hey, look at all this is great. Yeah. It's done. And then, oh, don't mess with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great way to end the book, though. Yeah. Now, this has been it's been awesome. And man, I'm 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 sure there's so many questions that uh we, we might have even stirred up more questions from people. Uh but the Re- book of Revelation is so amazing, so so relevant for today. So if if we've never read through Revelation or if we've never studied it as much um, while, while, while we are giving our pastor some holy peer pressure to preach it, uh, what what resources might be helpful for us if we want to study the book of Revelation more? Yeah, so I already mentioned Richard Bauckham's book, Theology of Revelation. It's tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. And I wish I would have read that as a teenager or or in college. I think it would have really eased my mind. You're going to read and be like, oh, yes, of course, this makes so much sense. So that's that's one right off the bat. I really like Dennis Johnson's commentary. 
Yeah. Triumph of the Land, published by PNR. Great commentary. I think even lay people can can read with understanding. William Hendrickson, uh, it's an older commentary, about 100 years old, but it's still really, really good. Published they by have Baker. a new edition of it. still continues to print it. Yeah. In May. Yeah, it's, it really is amazing. It's what he was seeing 100 years ago, commentators are now saying, no, this is it. Wow. And then wow. if you want something more robust, you know, Beale's shorter commentary and revelation is still like five, 600 pages. So that's pretty intimidating. But if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor yeah. and you want to preach, that's the one to use. It Absolutely. Really is. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the gold standard. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I actually, uh, I actually used Beale's uh, shorter commentary uh devotionally as I, I was reading through revelation and i would just read just oh wow yeah portions at a time yeah. and I, the amount yeah. of notes, oh it, it it was incredibly helpful and i even thought like yeah, yeah it does take some bible knowledge to understand this but it was not by any means uh you know somehow too much for someone to wade through i mean it's just it's just right to, right 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 yeah. i mean revelation's long i mean it's yeah. a yeah. You know, how how do you how do you cover the book without being long? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, well, man, uh Ben, thank you so much for uh being on the Gospel Gazing podcast and uh I, I think this is just really helpful for our people and uh whoever else this might get passed to. Um so we'll, we're definitely going to have to have you back on here again. Sure thing. It's so much fun to hang out, Wilson. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll we'll t- catch y'all later on a Guess a few more episodes later on on the Gospel Gazing podcast.